The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. The headlines, a fresh record close for the S&P, despite concerns about rising Delta variant cases. This is the White House wraps up its vaccination drive. If you want to do business with the federal government, get your workers vaccinated. Bitcoin in the crosshairs. The head of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission calls on Congress to rein in the, quote, wild west of cryptocurrency markets. Chairman Gary Gensler speaks with our U.S. colleagues later today. Toyota tops first quarter expectations and reiterates its full year forecast as net profit surges almost 500 percent and pandemic hit vehicle sales rebound. China's services sector growth picks up in July, but the spread of the Delta variant threatens to undermine the recovery, with new travel restrictions across the country and mass testing in Wuhan. Oil prices are steady despite the British Navy warning of a potential ship hijack amid reports that Iranian-backed forces have seized a tanker in the Gulf of Oman. Apparently, other vessels have also reported that they are, quote, not under command. Morning, everybody. Welcome back. Let's focus on the uh, Commerce Bank numbers then that are just trickling through for us. Uh, The bank says uh, further progress of uh, transformation, uh, helping the bank target operational costs of around uh, six and a half billion euros. The group delivering an operating result for the first half of 570 million. Uh, The uh, first half of 2020 was minus uh, 74 million. So uh, this is a positive sign for Commerce Bank's turnaround strategy. Revenues in the first half of the year of 4.35 billion euros. Uh, The year ago period had us at a little over 4 billion. The group says this reflects robust customer business. Uh, Given these strong first-half results, revenues in 2021 should slightly exceed previous years. The group says uh, with uh, further uh, progress of the uh, transformation, they are also uh, looking to deliver a strong common equity tier one ratio of 13.4%. There's quite a lot in this report. But let's get out to uh, Annetta, who has obviously been following this bank and its turnaround approach very closely. And I guess um, there'll be a few champagne corks popping over at Commerce Bank headquarters this morning. Annetta, it does look as though the bank is now headed in the right direction. It looks that the bank is headed to, uh, in the right direction, but to be fair, it's also the general trajectory in the market, which is helping Commerzbank in the first half of this year. If you look at the bottom line, though, we're still waiting for the net result of operating loss. Uh, there is a pre-tax loss of 400 
78 million euro, which was widely expected by analysts that the bank is actually loss making also in the second quarter because they they do have to shoulder a lot of cost for their huge uh, cost cutting exercise. They're shedding an awful lot of jobs, closing branches uh, as the new CEO um, has the strategy to downsize the bank by the year of 2024 to a, a, a smaller but um, more profitable and profitable bank. So the, the target in reach is a 7% uh, return on equity target by 2024. And there's still way to go for Commerzbank. Um, so what they're saying is on the back of the very positive first half of uh, 2021, they're also targeting a higher operating profit in 2021 um, than um, in 2020. So um, kind of a, a positive take on, on, the, on, on the second half of this year. Um, if you look at the um, various division, we have net fee income at 852, interest income at 1.173. I guess the crucial factor for Commerzbank going forward is the interest rate environment. It was always the case that the shares as well and the bank itself, when it comes to its operating performance, were a play on interest rates because they there is so much leverage for them in it. Um, and now with the ECB pushing um, the potential tightening of any interest rate hike further into the future, it makes things more complicated for Commerzbank. One key item as well is um, that the, um, the, the Polish uh, M Bank, because they just have missed their target a, a, a day ago. Um, and also when it comes to their Swiss Frankfurt portfolio, the bank Commerzbank is always warning that the outlook is contingent or depending on um, any deterioration in that specific portfolio of M Bank, which is Swiss franc denominated. So I guess there's still a lot of risks surrounding Commerzbank, but for the time being, they are looking as if they're getting the job done, Jeff. With that, back to you. Annette, terrific. Thank you for that. Well, nothing gets past you, does it? If I'm sitting in the headquarters this morning, I think I'm putting the corks back in the champagne bottle until we get another six months or so to confirm this strategy is actually working. We will catch up with the company later on. Annette is going to help us out in a conversation with Bettina Orlop, the Commerce Bank CFO. So we can put some of Annette's concerns to Bettina Orlop when she joins us for that conversation. 805 CET, just a reminder. Uh, so do stay with us for that. Uh, Siemens Energy results, Juliana. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, well, let's get right to it. These numbers just crossing the wires, and it's a difficult uh, set of results for Siemens Energy. So let me break it down for you. Q3 orders were down 36.8% at $5.95 billion, and that was due to a sharp decrease at Siemens Gamesa. This is the a subsidiary that Siemens Energy still holds a 67% stake in. They issued a profit warning earlier this summer. So the difficulty won't come as a huge surprise, but it is certainly when 
weighing on these results. Q3 sales were up 8.8% to $7.26 billion, which was just shy of estimates of $7.28 billion. Q3 uh, adjusted EBITDA before special items coming in at just 54 million euros, indicating a margin of 0.7%. And they have gone ahead and adjusted down their guidance on margins. So now Siemens Energy expecting adjusted EBITDA margin before special items in a range of 2% to below 3% for the year 2021. It had stood at 3.5% after nine months. And some commentary coming out early from the CEO of Siemens Energy indicating that uh, he's not satisfied with Siemens Gamesa uh, and the impact that they are seeing there, um, singling out the problems at this wind power subsidiary as the reason for this uh, 37% drop in third quarter orders. Uh, and again, uh, as a key reason for providing this new lower target quarter for its key profit margin. So plenty to discuss later on this morning when we speak to the CEO of Siemens Energy. We're going to no doubt talk about um, what's happening at this key subsidiary. That's happening later this hour. Christian Bruch joins us. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview at 7.30 CET. Now away from earnings, we've just got some news crossing the wires uh, in terms of M&A. And uh, this is coming out of Tala, the key aerospace and defense company. Um, The Tala has come out and confirmed that they are selling their uh, rail signaling business to Hitachi. This is a deal that was widely rumored over the last few months. Uh, We spoke to the CEO of Talos a couple of weeks ago. He said no comment on uh, the reports, but today we have confirmation that they have indeed entered into an agreement in view of selling this ground transportation systems business to Hitachi Rail. Uh, compelling valuation reflected, reflecting effective turnaround, which they have been embarking on with this uh, unit. Uh, so this is just coming out uh, from Tawas this morning that they have gone ahead and uh, and uh, entered an agreement to sell this business. So we'll keep an eye out on the details. Again, this was widely rumored. So now we've got confirmation from Tawas that the deal is, in fact, planned to go ahead. Jeff. Yeah, terrific. Thanks very much indeed for that. Let's um, look at some of the other earnings. Operating profit at Toyota jumping $9.2 billion in the first quarter as the automaker was boosted by a rebound in global sales. The Japanese group, though, maintaining its full-year forecast, which has disappointed some analysts who had been expecting Toyota to raise its guidance. And that may explain some of the lackluster share price performance this morning. Lyft has posted a lower-than-expected loss. Revenue at the ride-hailing group surged 125% in the second quarter. The U.S. company says it had over 17 million customers over the quarter, which was better than the expectations. Uh, Lyft reporting its first quarterly adjusted EBITDA profit a quarter ahead of what was expected. And we will have more on Lyft's earnings later today when our U.S. colleagues speak to President and co-founder John Zimmer. That interview at 14.45 CET. It is a first on CNBC. And I'll just make a very quick comment. And I think the Toyota earnings, very instructive this morning. Just a reminder that the market has very high expectations here. They've watched companies improve their operational leverage, cutting costs, reducing headcount, streamlining um, the plant and machinery operations, and um, uh, supply chains, 
all through the last uh, 14, 15 months or so of the pandemic, they expect companies not only to beat the analyst guidance, but as we saw with Toyota, raise guidance going forward. And if you don't deliver that cherry on the cake, you get punished. And I think it's interesting that the market is already taking on board expectations, Juliana, around better operational leverage. I think operational leverage really is the name of the game here throughout this earnings season. But in order to benefit from all that cost cutting and see it actually drop through to the bottom line, you have to be able to increase sales. And that means you have to be able to ramp up supply to meet this increased demand. And that is coming through as a key problem for uh, a number of sectors in the industrial space and the automakers especially. So yes, earnings have uh, really, really come through hard and fast here. Earnings for S&P 500 companies up 90% year on year on average uh, compared to just over a 20% rise in revenue. So huge operating leverage. But these companies have to be able to actually meet the increased demand. And that is proving problematic for some of these. uh, And it's going to be problematic in the months ahead. And uh, that to your point around guidance. Uh, All right, well, let's move away from earnings to some key economic data in focus. U.S. factory orders grew by 1.5% in June, topping expectations with strong demand for industrial goods. It comes as manufacturing struggle to meet demand amid a supply crunch and labor shortage. Jeff. Terrific. Thank you very much indeed, Juliana, for that. Let's just trot over to the wall and just show you how strong those gains were yesterday in the U.S. trading session. We're back at record levels uh, for the S&P 500. So some of that funk from uh, Tuesday has been shaken off. Let's just roll the boards. Let's just show you some of the winners. Uh, Robin Hood, very strong here, up 24.2%. I think we'll have another look at this one as uh, we try and figure out exactly why we got that strong lift from Robin Hood in yesterday's trading session because, quite frankly, the IPO was a bit of a damp squib as they came out of the gates. The gamers, uh, we had that statement um, from the Chinese state media, which caused all sorts of turmoil in gaming stocks globally. Uh, The article was retracted ultimately, but the damage was already done. So the US gaming stocks across the board played a bit of catch up on the Chinese gaming stocks. And we were down, as you can see here, on all these major names. Chinese tech, well, little bit of a rebound, 10 cent. Um, League of Legends, that's one of theirs. I think Arjun's a big fan. Up uh, 3%, Tencent, uh, just rebounding and recovering some of those losses. Meichuan, we also talked about that recently, didn't we? Also in the action around regulatory concerns. But as you can see, it is a very mixed session here with some of the other giants, Pindordor, uh, uh, Alibaba and Baidu. Uh, sharply lower uh, alongside JD.com. Asian markets, this is the split call we've got out of Asia as well with the Nikkei 225 off uh, two-tenths of one percent. Toyota, I suspect, a factor in the performance we're seeing there. And we're still getting a little bit of this buying on the dip going on in the greater China markets. Uh, We did get some better Um, activity numbers out of China this morning. The services sector accelerated to 54.9 in July, according to a private survey, as consumption appears to pick up across the country. But a rise in domestic COVID cases 
could threaten the recovery. Let's get to Sam on this. Um, Sam, you know, we're talking about a country of 1.4 billion people. What have we got? 90-odd cases here? That's tiny. Why are we getting so worried about these figures? Well, of course, Jeff, good morning to you. We do know that Chinese authorities have a very low tolerance to even the slightest spike in cases. And they're also very sensitive to any potential economic slowdown and the impacts that could have. Because, of course, you just rewind a couple of months ago, we saw that spike in cases in Guangdong having a significant impact on the issue when it comes to supply chains. It's interesting because one economist just said on our program a little earlier that perhaps the data that we got today is a bit backwards looking now because, of course, that survey was carried out before uh, China saw this resurgence of cases spreading across the country. But uh, it does perhaps uh, threaten to overshadow this recovery. And certainly when it comes to consumption that we saw in July, because services activity, certainly at the smaller and private firms, really kicked up a notch. We saw that PMI coming in, as you say, 54.9. That's up from 50.3 in June. That was actually the highest since May and actually better than the manufacturing side of things, which uh, hit over one year lows. When we got that official number uh, out earlier in the week, actually over the weekend. It did show services activity edging up as well. That was thanks to summer holiday consumption. But uh, analysts have also said that this is largely down to China actually managing to get the virus under control in Guangdong province uh, last month, which is perhaps a good sign uh, for this uh, latest wave we are seeing. But uh, small businesses like bars and restaurants clearly benefited from that, and particularly at a time when it is summer and there's a lot of sporting uh, events going on. On. And so the survey showed that new business rose, uh, certainly signalling a pickup in consumption, which is good news because that has largely lagged this recovery. Employment also turned to growth, although the rate was slight. But it is still good news because, of course, we know the services sector is a big generator of jobs in China. It makes up for 60% of the Chinese economy or thereabouts. But new export orders did contract again, perhaps a sign of softening overseas demand, as we did see a spike in cases uh, in other countries. But of course, as I say, uh, China is is facing its own resurgence of cases which could threaten this economic recovery, particularly as we know that the services sector is particularly vulnerable and very sensitive to these sorts of lockdowns and restrictions. It's obviously not very good for things like bars and restaurants and karaoke bars. Uh, I will run you through those numbers, as you pointed out, because in the latest China reported just 96 new cases yesterday, but that was up from 90 the day before. 71 of those were locally transmitted cases. That's up from 60 one uh, the day before and uh, the worst hit area is actually Jiangsu province on the east coast but geographically we do know that this is spreading uh, inland now not a huge amount relatively speaking but as I said the authorities are pretty sensitive towards this and they are pulling out all the stops to try to put a lid uh, on this it's also worrying because we had one economist on our program a little earlier saying that household consumption spending is still not quite up to levels that we saw pre-pandemic it is still quite disappointing given uh, even given and uh, the vaccination rollout. And this is where things really need to improve to see consumption back up to those uh, pre-pandemic levels. So that could be quite worrying. And so there is still some speculation now that uh, we could see certainly further easing uh, by the Chinese central bank after we did see that triple R cut uh, just last month. Uh, certainly the path of the virus makes this uh, outlook look uh, very uncertain. So that's why we are seeing uh, perhaps some uh, investor speculation that we could see uh, further policy support. Guys, back to you in London. Terrific.
Pacific Report, Sam, thank you so much for hanging on for us and uh, running us through the story. Uh, while we're talking about uh, coronavirus, mask mandates become more widespread across the United States, as well as cash incentives that are being offered to get the jab. We'll update you when we return. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. SoftBank has built up a $5 billion stake in Roche, according to Bloomberg. The Japanese company is betting on the pharma giant's strategy of using data to develop new treatments. The move is seen as part of SoftBank's broader push into biotech and healthcare investments. Elsewhere in corporate news, the UK is reportedly considering blocking NVIDIA's $40 billion takeover of Arm from SoftBank amid national security concerns. Bloomberg reported that potential issues were raised in a report sent to the government by the competition watchdog on July 20th. NVIDIA says it will continue to work through the regulatory process with the government, adding it expects to resolve any concerns raised by officials. Lumen Technologies has agreed to sell a selection of its U.S. telco assets to private equity group Apollo in a deal worth $7.5 billion. The agreement will see Apollo take over Lumen's local carrier assets and broadband infrastructure in 20 U.S. states, mainly in the Midwest and Southeast. Apollo said the new company will accelerate the rollout of high-speed broadband to rural, underserved areas of the country. The deal is slated to close in the second half of next year. In the U.S., the CDC has announced a 60-day eviction moratorium in areas where infection COVID rates are high after the original ban expired on Sunday. This after Democratic Representative Cory Bush staged a sit-in protest at the Capitol after Congress failed to secure another extension and rifts opened between President Biden and his party over what lawmakers saw as a lack of action from the White House. At a press conference, President Biden said the Delta variant is spreading like, quote, wildfire and singled out anti-mask mandate state governors for criticism. Just two states. Florida and Texas account for one-third of all new COVID-19 cases in the entire country. Just two states. Look, we need leadership from everyone. If some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. I say to these governors, please help. But if you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way. The people are trying to do the right thing. 
Well, the president praised companies that are enacting vaccine requirements for their workforce, a practice that is becoming more widespread as cases rise. Some companies are also insisting that uh, there are mask mandates, with Ford, Chrysler and GM saying they would require all workers to wear masks on site. Airlines are taking a different approach. Delta CEO Ed Bastian has told our colleagues in the U.S. the carrier will not be following these trends. Here in the U.S., I don't think it's necessary. We carry a Delta. We carry millions of people a week safely. Uh, People are vaccinated. Uh, The vast majority of our customers are vaccinated. They're in a clean environment. Uh, They're fully masked. Uh, Our people were over 73 percent of our staff are fully vaccinated. That number is growing by the day. So I don't think putting that requirement in domestic travel is going to change much. On the vaccine front, Pfizer hopes to win full FDA approval for its COVID vaccine by early next month. The New York Times reports that Labor Day on September 6 is being seen as an unofficial deadline. The Biden administration hopes final approval from the agency will encourage more people to get vaccinated. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.